Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Greg Giraldo. Scratch that. He's writing the book on Greg Giraldo. As there hasn't been a proper biography about the outrageously witty stand-up comedian since he died in 2010 at the age of only 44. Balaker, a comedian himself, has interviewed more than 25 people close to Geraldo, From his former managers, friends, comedians, and his widowed ex-wife, and successfully received Kickstarter funding to finish the Greg Geraldo book, along with a co-author, Wayne Jones. Balaker sat down with me to explain how he got involved in this project, what he's learned along the way, and asked me to share my own thoughts on Geraldo. So let's get to it! Alright, so Matt Balaker, we've been sitting here talking about Greg Giraldo, and <laughs> you're you're writing a book, well, actually the book on Greg Giraldo, because there isn't one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there may be others, but for, for now we'll call it a book, but maybe, maybe it is the book, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> Have you written a book before? I've not written a, a, a book, I've written for websites, mm-hmm. uh, I've written jokes, I've written for newspapers, uh, high school newspaper. Okay. Uh, but no, this this is my first uh writing project beyond probably 3000 words. So what what about Greg tipped the scales for you and said I'm going to take the plunge and and do something I've never done before. Uh, what about Greg? What, 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 I I think cuz when I started working I would always perform too and when I had downtime mm-hmm. I worked in, for a while at a small hedge fund and okay. uh, there wasn't much on his website in the early 2000s and I kind of always wanted more and and I th- thought he had this cool background. I was like, well, he was a lawyer, but but he just bailed out on it. And now now he's this this, this comic, and, and and the fact that there was no one else, uh, that there were no books on him. Mm-hmm. When I, I I started a new job, and my, as I said earlier, my wife was pregnant pregnant with our second child, and um, I didn't know how how long I'd be able to perform, or, or you know, I didn't know how much free time I had. So I was just kind of looking for like a book. And uh, and there were there were none uh, on Greg Giraldo, so I figured maybe this is my muse, like they say in the four hour work week. Uh, maybe this is my 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 calling. It's 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 to write the book because my mm-hmm. brother, my older brother, would always make fun of me for being like so into you know such a fan of Geraldo. Like you know, I was thinking, well, why not me? You know, I, I probably right. know as much if not more than than most people, and I and I have the spazziness. I, I have the uh, the drive to do it. So. Uh, what did I you know? What did you know about Greg Giraldo before you s- started this project? What did I? Okay, good question. I knew uh, his gay muscle joke mm-hmm. from around '99 when I was an intern at Conan. He came on and, and I, it was one of his first sets, and it was really funny. So I knew that about him. Mm-hmm. I knew him really well from how I kind of became a huge follower or fan was from Tough Crowd, which probably like a lot of people who right Tough like, Crowd really showcased Greg in a way that it perhaps didn't showcase any of the other comedians who were on it. Right, that's a good point, because it took advantage of his, his off-the-cuff improvisational skills. And his quick wit. Exactly. And and it was so, like, current events-driven, and he was very well-read. Right. And, and I think it, he, uh, uh, you know, he, he could, like, you know, pontificate about wars and then also make fun of someone's shirt. I mean, <laughs> it, it kind of, like, played both sides, like the intellectual Harvard guy and, like, the, you know, badass Queens guy. Right. 
So that, 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 I mean, I knew that about him. I knew he was an attorney. Um, I knew, you know, obviously knew he passed away. I knew he struggled with, you know, with, with addiction. And uh, I knew him from Psychology Today. So, and I knew him through what people have told me that, okay. that performed with him. Um, so you, but, but that's what I, you know, I, I certainly didn't know him personally. Okay. So you, you launched this book through a Kickstarter. Well, I, I launched the book. And then maybe six months later, I launched a Kickstarter to help okay. finance the project. I wanted to make sure I had some legs before <laughs> I, I groveled to uh, to people like you, Sean, for money and, and support. Well, I was just going to say, uh, when you start a book project like this, what's the first step in that? I mean, I guess you, you didn't go the traditional route of no. <laughs> trying to I wish I trying to pitch a literary agent and, and then sell it to a... In a, in a publishing a, house, right? That's a good good point because I, I want to keep that option mm-hmm. available. But but now with self publishing and eBooks, it kind of makes it easier. It's it's like YouTube in a sense. It makes it easier for for content creators to just get something out there. And um, I, I figured with the, I knew enough people and I had enough money saved up where I could get something done. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, with more money and more support, something could hopefully be something a hell of a lot better than if it were just financed by me right and the kickstarter got funded and that's how you met your co-author yeah uh wayne jones a very smart canadian who uh gave i don't i don't want to out his generosity Mm -hmm. but it was one of the larger donations and uh is that how he became the co-author was that a kickstarter (laughs) prize yeah yeah it it was it was on the (laughs) fine enough you can write it with over 14 dollars. you get to uh you you not only get to give money you get to help write this (laughs) yeah uh but when I looked at his, his email handle, I, I saw that um, I went. I Googled him, and, mm-hmm. and it showed that he uh, he was not only a librarian, but he had worked on biographies before. And he was a pretty pro- he's, he is a prolific writer and incredibly organized. And uh, those sort of organizational skills I I lack, and so having someone um, like like he's great at indexing all the interviews, and, he, and he's like he's just like hyper focused on, on on these details that otherwise I. I would hopefully do, but he keeps me on task, and, and, he, and he's a really good writer. And you would, since you had already done quite a bit of work, has that been his task? Is you give him what you've done? And <laughs> I, then, I give and him then the he... crap. Yeah. Well, it it started off that way. Like um, before the Kickstarter, I did about fifteen to twenty interviews, mm-hmm. and gosh, it's, it's you know probably in the hundreds of thousands of words if you were to read all the transcriptions. Right. Uh, so what I one of the first things he did was uh read them and then comment on you know this this is what sticks out i didn't want to get too in depth of like editing it for for grammar and punctuation it was just what out of these 10 pages what are the two or three points that resonate with you and and that's what we we, you know we did that for all the interviews and then then through that he started cataloging themes and Mm -hmm. then and then he'd be like well maybe we should try to get more information on this and then while we're cataloging prior interviews i'm, I'm reaching out to other friends and family and you know uh, comedy aficionados mm-hmm. like you to try to get new interviews to kind of we're creating the story and building it at the same time okay and, and so then wayne kind of took over and interviewing some people too and he's been a godsend when it comes to like putting the skeletons together for the chapters like uh on weekends we'll split it up where he'll, he'll basically he's written a lot and then i'll go and like fine tune it and mm-hmm. then there's certain chapters where i'll i'll, I'll 
kind of take the reins on. But he's been really good at just moving the ball forward, making sure, you know, we finish this thing. And then um, we'll take turns kind of uh, deciding who's going to highlight what, what, what area of the book. Where did you decide to start your research? Uh, I decided to start with Rick Dorfman. Well, I guess you'd say really start with um, Jesse Joyce, who, mm-hmm. I, who I knew a little bit. You know, right. Tangent. Jesse was his uh, writing partner for the Rose and also kind of his sober companion. Yeah. And, and, and he toured with him. Right. So he, uh, Jesse opened for him. They, I mean, well, the book will we'll uncover more detail, but it was kind of a, a big brother, littler brother relationship. But they, they, they shared a manager, Rick Dorfman, who I didn't know, but a friend of mine, Kareth Foster, who's mm-hmm. the, uh, not only a wonderful person, she's a really great comic and, and, and uh, li- uh, lived in New York for several years and, and knew Rick. And she was nice enough to introduce me to Rick Dorfman. So he was really the first domino. Okay. Without him, I mean, I could have done stuff. I could have interviewed just comedians. But but he, he helped structure it, say, all right, you, you should talk to this guy. You should talk to this guy. And in so doing, he talked a great deal about how they met at Caroline's and the whole process of the Montreal Comedy Festival and getting the sitcom. Um, and you could tell, aside from being a manager, I mean, he was his friend first. And, and he had a, definitely, like, the, the love he had for his friend was there. And, and, and that kind of energized me to want, to want to keep going. Have you talked to Max Burgos yet? I've talked to him, yeah. yeah. How, how forthcoming was Max? I've known Max for quite a bit. Well, maybe you could help <laughs> because um, he I talked to him before, I think – it had like critical mass. I mm-hmm. talked to Max before um, the Kickstarter was funded, okay. so he he was cool, but he kind of wanted to be the last interview. And then I've I've reached sense. out to him again because he was very, he was heard, very close. I haven't heard back. But he was very close with Greg, at, especially at the end. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And and um, and and Rick and Max were actually pretty cool, but it was funny because they're kind of competitors <laughs> too. But right. um, uh, uh, Rick su- suggested I, I reach out to Max, and I, and I knew of Max through an article that um, Elise—I'm blanking on her last name. Uh, there was a brilliant article on Tough Crowd, oh, yeah. and and Max Burgos was, was quoted, you know, pretty liberally in that. And uh, um, so that's I knew of Max through that. Who was who was the last slash most recent person you talked to before uh, sitting in front of me? Uh, before you, sh- uh, is is. Old friend, one of his best friends, Steve, Steve Klein. In fact, if you look in the front cover, which I did today of uh, A Good Day to Cross a River, one mm-hmm. of Geraldo's albums, um, he dedicates it to, it's, it's funny, I don't want to ruin sure. the fun, but uh, one of the guys said, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but said, like, uh, none of this would have happened without you, Steve. And, uh, and it was, Steve was a, a, a friend from the law firm they worked at who sort of pushed, helped, you know, kind of, uh, said, Greg, you're and... a horrible lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> or, Greg, you're a, a funny comedian. You should be. Well, you'll have to read the book and, and, and you know, uh, <laughs> and, and get the get the whole story. But yeah, and and and, and Steve's not a, a comedian, but he did. They did work together on roast jokes, and uh, you know, as you know, it takes years for comics to find their voice. Mm-hmm. And, and Geraldo probably did it much sooner than most. Uh, but the first four or five years after he left law, uh, Steve and other people you know, would, uh, would kind of bounce ideas off of Greg and, and Greg would, you know, obviously he'd be the, he'd have veto power over it all. But, right. he, uh, Steve was kind of part of the inner circle that would help vet ideas. And you told me you also talked with, uh, Greg's widow. Yeah. Yeah. How did she feel about this? Well, 
that wouldn't have happened without her. You know, I mean, I, something could have happened, I should say, without right. her. But, but uh, Rick Dorfman was obviously, well, I don't know if it is office, but but he he knew uh, his widow. Or mm. Her name's Marianne. Uh, well, and he made the introduction. Okay, and so she was the the second interview, or, or I should say, yeah, she was the second interview. So this is the first after Rick, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I don't want to get into all the details of it, but but could not have been cooler. Um, you know, she she is very talented uh, in, in set design and and other uh, areas of of show business, but but you know, she's not the uh, a comedian, so she she gave a wonderful kind of family angle in a personal angle that that was so illuminating to me because I knew him so much as a comedian and to get perspective from someone who, you know, was love interest. And, right. you know, obviously they had a family together. That, that was, that was really awesome. How old are his kids now? Um, they're like teenagers, I think. But yeah. Um, well, how has your perception of Greg changed since you started this? I think, Great question. A, a couple ways. One, I think he's not quite the the tortured artist mm-hmm. that I, I I assumed based off the uh, Psychology Today article, which right, for, that, for fans is wonderful. That was an interview uh, he did with Psychology Today in 2009, mm-hmm. the year before he died. And, and just talking he, about depression a lot. He, he referred to, to his friends as his suicide note. Mm. Uh, I mean, he jokingly, but it was, it was, it was very uh, telling in it. But but that was an aspect of it, of, right. of him. Because he I, was very hard on himself. Yeah. And, and, and so I, I, I kind of took that and may, maybe over forecasted it mm-hmm. to how he thought of himself or how others saw himself like this. And, and, and that, that's an aspect of his life. Like, you know, like any performer, you know, you can always think, compare yourself to others. And are you ever really happy? But then. The more I talk to his friends, it's like he would take time to kind of do a self-inventory of be like, I've performed on all these roasts. I'm, I'm making a living telling jokes. I have a beautiful family. I have all these wonderful things that, you know, so many people want to have. And, right. and so it wasn't as if he was always tortured. Right. And, and I think he was um, gr- a, a wonderful person to others, sometimes to the detriment uh, of of himself, you know, like where, um, uh, I think it was Gaffigan or someone said like uh, he would do one. He was a wonderful person who, because of his an addiction, didn't always do wonderful things. Mm. And, and and but unfortunately, the the non wonderful part he would do to himself mostly. Right. You know, and and those really close to him. And so so that was kind of interesting. Like thinking that he wasn't totally this tortured artist. And and two that. Um, He's just a hard worker. You know, I mean, that, that wasn't a surprising, but how he kind of had a workman's like approach to, uh, to, to doing stand up. Um, but it wasn't as if he, he always wanted to be a movie star. I mean, I think he wanted the, the acclaim to some, like, who wouldn't? But, like, right. I, I was kind of impressed that he, as much as he griped in his jokes about road, being on the road, that, 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 that was kind of his home, you know, like, uh, Doing doing comedy on the road and at do you the, get the comedy cell. Do you get the sense from everyone you talk to that you know he had that early shot with uh, with network TV with Common Law, mm-hmm. but they only aired four episodes. I think four, maybe yeah. three, but yeah, yeah. It's do you get the sense from everybody you talk to that he didn't want to try again for that kind of that kind of success and said just be content to be a really great stand up. I, I think. Uh, I mean, the short answer is no. I, mm-hmm. I think, and I'm speculating, but that's part of what the book is, that 
he felt he wasn't a great actor mm-hmm. at the time, so kind of needs needed seasoning. And, and and Wayne looked at the uh, he watched some Common Live. I haven't seen it, and he said it was actually pretty good. You know, like it was kind of panned by by himself and friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I well, that was 1996, so, so that's a you know it's a completely different time in he hadn't in, had t- any in TV. A totally different time in TV. The networks, there, I mean, it was obviously way pre Netflix right. and, and Hulu. Uh, it was kind of coming off of the Latin sensation, yeah. You know, or it was trying. You know, it was past the '80s boom of you know giving Tim Allen and Seinfeld and all these people a, a, a sitcom. But I, I think you know, he he did pursue it because I mean he had like five or six network pilots, and he had like several on Comedy Central. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a, a cable pilot. So so I mean he absolutely pursued the uh, the show angle. Was his show at the same time as George Lopez's show on ABC? It was, I don't know. It was, uh, when, I don't know when Lopez's show started. <laughs> now you want to make me look it up. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll check IMDb for you on that. But the, I mean, the last time I interviewed him was in May of 2010. Oh, wow. So a okay. few months. And he was, he was at the time, he was, uh, he was a judge on Last Comic Stand. Mm-hmm. And so we talked about that and about his, <laughs> his plays judging his mm-hmm. peers while still trying to pursue his own career. And yeah. Kind of the con- the push-pull conflict he had with that. Yeah, and, and, and we discussed that in the at Dreg, in the Greg Giraldo book. Um, but Natasha Legero, who was one of the, the, the other judges on it, who was newer to stand... I mean, she'd, she's a great performer. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's, she has said that he, that Giraldo was, like, so nice that he was hard. They, 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 the producers kind of wanted to be the Simon Cowell right. character, sort of. But right, in, his, was, in his heart, he wanted to help him. Like he didn't want to just crap on someone for, for fun. You right. Know? They wanted to take advantage of his roast. Right. Right. Reputation. And, and so I, that, that I, I, what, what do you recall <laughs> about that? Because I'd like to get your. Uh, I I watched. Uh, I was in the audience for one of the. Uh, first rounds that they had at Gotham Comedy Club. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it was it was interesting to watch because none of the three, Andy Kindler, Natasha, or Greg, really wanted to be that critical of yeah. the comedians. Even the ones that they didn't like, per se. They didn't right. want to come across as a villain right. on the show. I remember talking to Greg a little bit after the taping, and, yeah, he felt uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And he he referenced that, and and, and we discuss, discussed that too in the book about how like it was a living, you know, it's his job, and he had kids and a family to support. But at the same time, he is the the tortured artist a little bit, where it's like, are you selling out by doing these these like you know network right. shows? And and I think he kind of like had a pretty good balance to it. But if I think. I'm again speculating. That's not what he necessarily wanted to do. He didn't want to be known as the judge. <laughs> <laughs> for a, a comedy competition show. Well, at the same time, that season was... They had just come off a season where they had celebrity judges in each round, and those celebrities were definitely very uh, evil and vicious. Sure, and sure. To, to really great comedians, they would brush them off after a minute and go, next. Yeah. And uh, so, so the season that Greg was a judge was the show's desire to pivot toward more legitimacy. Okay. So they're like, okay, here, instead of, like, celebrity comedians mm-hmm. who you see on sitcoms, these are actual, the judges are going to be actual comedians 
who have actual credits and, more, and more are actually working comics, yeah. working in the trenches. Right. And Greg was perhaps the at the time he was definitely the the best known for stand up. Mm-hmm. I mean Natasha was wasn't really known that much at all. At, no, at I the mean time. I, and Andy Andy was known within comedy. Right, right. But he was probably better known by the public as someone who was like a supporting character on King of Queens. Yeah, he he was the most seasoned kind of right. pure play stand-up comedian. But you know when when I when I I knew we were going to sit down and talk tonight, I went down. I, you know, I went through my own website and went through some of the stuff that I wrote, and I can't believe he was only forty-four when he died. I'm forty-four now. Um, I'm 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 forty. I can't. Well, I can't let's wrap. hurry up and finish this yeah, interview. Well, so what's? I mean, you've talked to twenty, twenty-five people. Well, m- what, more, what, more what, since then. But. What, what help? What help could I possibly be? Well, you're you're talking with me, so mm-hmm. that you you did the first spot. You you returned my call. <laughs> so if you could ask Max Burgos to do the same, that would, that would help. So uh, no. So what what help? I mean, you've interviewed so many comics. Mm-hmm. You you you're, you're you're tapped into the scene in a way that most people aren't. And, and and being in New York, I mean, a lot. One thing I can't tap into as well, being on the West Coast, is other than being a fan, and I love the Comedy Cellar, and and I lived here, you know, in the early two thousands right. for a short time. What was it like? I mean, both before and after his passing, because he's so revered um, among comics, but I imagine specifically among the New York comedians and, right. and folks like you. Um, I mean, how would you characterize his influence on, on New York comedy? Oh man, everybody was just everybody was just floored by his talent. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a guy that you wanted to watch on stage. You know, when you talk about what is a comics comic, a comics comic is the person that whenever you find out that they're on stage, all the comedians rush to go watch that person perform. And Greg was definitely fit that bill because he was just so smart and his wit was so vicious mm-hmm. and he knew ev- everything that was going on in the news so you knew if you wanted the the hottest hot take you wanted to know what greg had to say yeah um and what, when did you first i guess two part when did you first see him and then when did you first interview him i first saw him when i lived in arizona in 2001 okay i was working at the arizona republic and loitering at the Tempe Improv. And cool. His first uh, headlining stint after I'd moved there was sometime around the end of 2001. And I remember the I remember I talk I mentioned Common Law with you mm-hmm. because I remember getting the public the the Improv would always send me at the newspaper all the the publicity. Here's so and so, please give them press. And I remember I looked at it and I was like I don't remember this show at all. Uh-huh. And I saw he's a lawyer and I'm like yeah. what's this about? Because I hadn't really seen him on TV. Because I wasn't at that time. I, w- I was watching comedy live. I wasn't mm-hmm. watching Be- a better late, way to do. I, it. I wasn't yeah. watching the late night sets yeah. like I do now mm-hmm. religiously. So I, my first time was experiencing headlining, and I was just I was just blown away. Um, what, and by what? What was it that that blew you away about his performance? He he had this way of. You know, I, I hear improvisers talk about operating at the height of your intelligence, mm-hmm. and he had this way of being the smartest guy in a theater of 400 people without making anyone in the audience feel like he was talking down to you. It's a hard thing, it's which is a hard yeah. thing to do. You know, did not he? He never sounded pretentious. Mm-hmm. He never sounded 
uh, self-righteous. He was just right. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the first time I wrote about him was in 2006. So did you, when you wrote about him, was he interviewed for that, or was it just uh, your own research? Well, by 2006, I was starting to write about, about comedians full-time. Uh, I was at the... I was at the Boston Herald then, and uh, he came through and I wrote, uh, Greg Giraldo should be a lot more famous than he is. <laughs> of all the stand-up comedians working the circuit and talking topical, if you know how to tell it like it is, like Giraldo can. Mm-hmm. So, so that, was, that was the first thing I wrote about him. Tell it like, so, so what do you think most sticks out about his style? Like to, to someone who's never seen him, who's... who's... You know... I, I was I was going and reading like the Psychology Today interview and some other, even the interviews he did with me, and when I read his answers, I can I hear his voice mm-hmm. the way the the way it elevates and the way he just kind of mocks himself uh-huh. while while getting into it. It's not it's not like a Lewis Black kind of ranty anger, mm-hmm. but it is kind of a. He's confused by how messed up the world is. Mm-hmm. And he can articulate it in a way that sounds off the cuff. And I'm sure it is in large part, right. but clear enough where the audience can digest it. Right. He'll, you know, the, the, the rhythm, mm-hmm. the rhythm of his delivery, uh, he would often interrupt his sentences. But I mean, that was all, that was all, you know, choreographed. Like his joke about, uh, when you see something, say something mm-hmm. on the subway, and then he and then he goes into the things that he sees, yeah. and nobody says anything because why would you say something about <laughs> it? I mean, it's like the the point out the like the ludicrousness of it all. Uh, he just had a way that when you heard like the see something, say something, when you heard his take on it, you're like, why am I? Why would anyone else bother to write a joke about this? Mm-hmm. Greg has, Greg has the joke. I mean, thank God I don't yeah. <laughs> try to write jokes myself, <laughs> and I haven't in a long time. But um, that was kind of Greg's Greg's uh, place in the comedy universe. That's a good. I mean, that that sort of style is you can't really replicate it. I mean, you can try, but it, it's very unique to him. Right. I mean, you've covered gosh tons of com- comedians in in your site and in your in your prior work. How would you rank him, or how would you in the in the Mount Rushmore of, of oh, Sean McCarthy comics? Where? Well, he's definitely the Mount Rushmore of uh, people who died in their forties who shouldn't have. <laughs> okay. With uh, Patrice O'Neill and Mitch Hedberg. Yeah. R.I.P. Um, because I mean, all three of those guys were at the height of their respective. Subgenres of stand-up, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, all all cut down by their addictions or, or obsessions. So, I mean, you know, that's that's kind of the sad thing about it is, you know, like, I don't know where I would put Greg. Yeah, I mean, and it's not like sprinting or swimming where it's like a a very tangible thing to measure. It's kind of a stupid exercise but i think right. it, it does show like how do you quanti- how do you quantify a career yeah and and how do you exactly i mean one one thing we talked with uh the interview today we, we discussed is for much of geraldo's career he was like the headlining comic at say 
the Tempe Improv. Right. And many of the audience members weren't there to see him. Uh, uh, you know, right? The they were just out for like they, a they Friday were there night because like it's a good club. Right. And, and then he blows them away. I mean, not always, but you know, obviously he, he did. And I think that is, in my estimation, much more of a, a signal that he was an amazing comic than someone who like, for example, like Gaffigan, one of his good friends now is, is obviously great, but people will come to see Jim Gaffigan. Right. You know, and, and so you have a little bit more leeway. There are, there, they've right, already, but that took time. I mean, that that, took, that's but, the thing but, that I takes mean, time. Imagine if you take, you know, any comedian, Gaffigan, mm-hmm. Geraldo, or whatever, you know, some of the greats, and just put them somewhere with a bunch of people that have never mm-hmm. heard of any of them. I would put my money that Geraldo would do a hell of a good job amusing these people who didn't know him. And I think that that speaks to how great of a performer he was. Well, I mean, all you have to do is look at any of the Comedy Central roasts because Greg Giraldo was the guy people didn't know. Yeah. And then when he was done with his time at the podium, everyone was like, oh, oh my God. this yeah. guy is the best guy up here. Yeah. And again, it's, I mean, it's hard. I don't like saying he's better than this or that. Right. But like, I, I think that's one objective measure you can make of a performer. Like, are you able to make a bunch of strangers laugh? And he could do that consistently. And I, again, put my money on better than 99% of comedians in the last 50 years. No, he was definitely, when he was, when he was focused, he was at the top. He was focused and at the top. And and he had an edginess. And and I don't want to say that to sound trite. And by edginess, I mean, I'll try to define it as you'll say something that won't please everyone. And you know that going in. Right. So it's it's not edgy like, you know, someone in New York making fun of Republicans. That's not really like, you're not taking a big a big stand. He would take stands on jokes and people on both sides would be amused. Right. You know, and, but, but he'd be willing to like piss some people off. And, and, and to be able to be edgy and broadly funny are, are very competing styles. Right. And I, I think he achieved it really well. Right. I mean, I think if you look at anybody who's doing that kind of thing now you would have to look at bill burr right he's a he's a good jim norton right i mean there are there aren't like colin quinn i mean there there are great comics out there but it's, it's just it's hard but in to terms kind of, of like finding a way to offend everybody in the room and then bring them all back together yeah i mean i can't think of anyone better i mean norton's hilarious but i mean there's going to be 10 percent of the crowd it, i mean now he gets his own draw where right. they're there to see him who would just be like i don't you know he he went over the line and I think Geraldo was very good at like getting people back on his side, and and but he was he was ballsy enough to not worry about it. To, right. Know, I mean that was like the like the infamous episode of Tough Crowd with Dennis Leary. Mm-hmm. He was not afraid to go after Dennis. Dennis was shocked. Yeah. Because he, he just got thought slapped it was, hard. He just thought it was going to be four guys ball busting. Yeah. He didn't know that. <laughs> I think at he one point in, in the episode prepared. he goes, "What? I didn't know we had to do homework." <laughs> and, then, and, uh, and Greg's like. That's what we're sp- that's we're comedians. We're supposed to do work. It's like maybe if you had did more comedy writing, your show would still be on the air. <laughs> but then uh, Geraldo followed up with "Mine would be too." So I mean, it kind of shows right. the self-deprecating style he had. Where after he like, you know, need Larry in the balls, he kind of right. put it back on him. Turns the knife back yeah. on himself. But you've uh, you mentioned you've interviewed a bunch of comics, mm-hmm. and, and you you interviewed them months before his passing right. and he was very open about his struggles uh, and as are a lot of comedians i mean 
did you did you see a did you, stylistically did, did you did you notice a change in maybe the last two years and and for better or worse how how would you say his his persona either when he was interviewing you or, or on stage on stage changed maybe uh, from like 2008 to 2010 i mean i remember seeing him at just for laugh chicago which happened right when he he also taped midlife vices that same week okay i think he he taped the special and then flew to chicago to do just for laughs where he taped a tbs special uh that had martin short hosting it and um he was in good spirits. Uh-huh. Um, I think, I think taping the special, you know, meant that he had. You know, that's a, that's an accomplishment. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, I've done. It's a tangible thing yeah. to have an hour special. Uh, I didn't see. I didn't. I didn't notice anything mm-hmm. that different stylistically. I. I mean, I saw him, you know, in and out of recovery. So in terms of just his emotional well-being off stage, I saw him in quite varying degrees. Mm-hmm. You know, when he was sitting at the table, you know, above the comedy cellar, you c- you could tell if he yeah. was in a good place or if he wasn't. But on stage, I didn't see any difference. Okay. And then when you interacted with him, how would you, like uh, you seem very friendly. To be, I mean, how, how would you yeah. categorize his his, his uh, you know, attitude towards you, and, and what was your well? That's why I say good, that's like? why I say good spirits because he was always like I don't know what was going on inside of his head, but yeah. he was always very friendly to me. Mm-hmm. You know, always willing to to talk to me. Um, you know, even when I when I asked him about last comic standing, you know, he he goes, uh, they said, hey, are you familiar with the show Last Comic Standing? What do you mean? They sent a carrier pigeon. They sent a large retinue of giants. They just asked me, Sean, is what he told me. Uh-huh. You know, <laughs> by the time my manager got it to me, he said, you know, there's really talk of them doing justice to comedy this season. Wasn't that supposedly what they were doing in the past? I never watched that show. I guess I watched the first season with the house. I knew Andy Kindler was attached to it. <laughs> the reality was I just wanted the money. <laughs> that was his answer to me, you know, and that was in May. Uh-huh. Um, so. And then, you know, fast forward to after... His passing. Mm-hmm. What What do you remember from from the, like the comedy community and, and yourself? What What I remember. You know, how, how, how How did you take it? I guess. Well, the first the first thing when he because he was in the hospital for a few days, mm-hmm. and when I first heard about the overdose, I remember looking up where he was supposed to be, and I saw that he was supposed to be a featured speaker at a big recovery rally mm-hmm. in New York. And I thought, of all the times to do this, <laughs> why <laughs> you're supposed to be sober and speaking to like thousands of mm-hmm. sober people, and that's when you overdose? Um, you know, I looked at it then as very kind of ironic. Mm-hmm. Now I kind of, Now I look at that as perhaps like the most telling thing you could do mm-hmm. to to deliver the message to a right. recovery rally to to really show that that uh alcoholism and, and drug abuse that's a fatal disease absolutely um, and and do you think being in comedy i mean a lot of comedians talk about it do you think mm-hmm. there is disproportionately more people with the disease in comedy or you just hear about it more or? Uh, 
I think you get that sense no matter what industry you're yeah, in. Yeah, I mean, you know, advertising, they go, well, Mad Men, you know, we're all construction workers. Oh, we're all drunks. all drunks. coke monkeys or something. Yeah. I mean, every industry can kind of point to that. Um, you know, stand-up comedy is, is different in that you're exposing yourself on stage. It's so, a vulnerability. Yeah. And... Uh, I don't. I don't know that that leads more to it. Yeah, I, I think there's 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 a lack of accountability in right. stand up. That's not like say if if you work at Deloitte and Touche and you mm-hmm. have to be in the office at eight a.m. and you're not in the office for two days, you know Jerry right. from Accounts Payable is going to call. But if if you're if you don't have to be at your job till seven eight p.m. It does afford some more. That's uh, true. Addiction is very much self-will run riot. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a boss or if you consider yourself your own boss and you have a, a proclivity toward toward addiction, yeah, you're going to you're going to be a horrible boss for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, and I don't want to I just I just remember sure. also uh I was at his wake. And I just remember this like I saw all of these famous people and we're all standing around in a circle, and there's just this profound silence hmm. because none of us know none of us knew what to say or what to do. And you know, you want to go comfort Marianne and mm-hmm. the kids because they were so young, and um, but none of like we just didn't want to be there. Right, right. And you want to be there to support. And yet we had to be there. Yeah. Well, I mean that 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 shows. I mean, in some ways, and 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 in the book we talk about, and and I'd like to get your opinion yeah. on, on how you want him remembered. Mm-hmm. After his passing, there's this huge outpouring of support. I mean, John Stewart had the moment of Zen. Comedy yeah. Central had the give it up for. No, Greg I saw Gerardo. John at the wake. Yeah, and, and it's like, if there's look at. I mean, look at the 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 people he influenced. Look at the, uh, you know, the street cred he had. Look at. The impact he had on 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 the comedy community. Yeah, I mean, and, Comedy Central put together a special like. Within a, within a couple yeah. of weeks, and, and, and was able to get all sorts of people: Conan O'Brien, Dennis Leary, right, and was that was very that. cool. And, and John yeah. Stewart was—I yeah. mean, Gaffigan, Jesse Joyce. I mean, yeah. uh, it was—it was. They don't do that. They don't do that for every no. comedian who dies. I mean, sadly, I mean, there's so many great comics who have passed, and they all deserve recognition. But it—it's, it, you know, even though it's after the after his passing. At least there's this evidence. Right. You know, there, it, there's spe- this tangible, it speaks like, to his, the impact that he had. Mm-hmm. I, how do you want him remembered? Other than Greg Giraldo book? Yeah, well, that's, that would be one way. And, and Twitter <laughs> at Greg Giraldo uh, book, at Greg Giraldo book. So. You know, whenever, whenever, I, on, on my website, I, one of the things that makes kind of my website different from other comedy websites is that I, I take, I really take the time to, to try to deliver a proper send-off mm-hmm. for comedians who die. Uh, I mean, one of the reasons I started the website is I didn't think comedians were getting the justice that uh, they deserve from the mainstream media. You're doing and, God's uh, work. Thank you, thank you. But, but, you know, I put a lot of effort into into writing obituaries for, for comedians because I feel like they need to be remembered mm-hmm. for what they did and not just the jokes th- that they told. And um, yeah, Greg should be remembered for for how much he made everybody else work. You know, you see a guy like that, and you know you can't slack off. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's being a hack, and even you know even famous people 
will realize, oh, I'm I'm kind of a hack compared to I'm Greg. I'm getting lazy with my material. Compared to Greg Giraldo. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's important to have people like that who make everybody want to be better. The standard and that's, and that's what Greg was. Greg was a, a comedian who made every other stand-up comedian want to be better because they didn't want to get shown up mm-hmm. by Greg Giraldo. Well, <laughs> that was beautiful. And uh, for those of you who have stories or if you want to contribute, if you um, on the website, gregdiraldobook.com, I'm opening it up. I want people who... I was just going to ask. What we, do, we've had some really uh, powerful you, uh, stories. Of, uh, like, uh, for example, one guy, hopefully I'll post it, but he, he emailed me privately saying, uh, or a, a, gal, a woman uh, who is a cancer survivor, mm-hmm. and I guess she was with some other people going through chemo, mm-hmm. and he performed basically like, I don't know, a hospital or some setting. It wasn't a big venue and totally like brightened their spirits. And it was just one of those things that wasn't publicized. And it's awesome that it wasn't because it was just a very genuine, right. humane act. And, and, you know, when when some people see him through the roast and, and watch the roast, they're great. But I, I, I would hate for that to be people's only memory of him. And so right. hopefully getting, right. I, getting I think, these stories think, out there I think will, I, will I think I recall... Some even some of the mainstream press like calling him like insult, yeah. like the headline said insult yeah. comic, and comedians would write write to the media places and go, no, he was that's not who he was. Don't reduce him yeah. to insult comic. Yeah, and and uh, and, and Noam at the Comedy Cellar talks about that a lot. You know, in the book, like it's almost like calling Michael Jordan a, a great dunker. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Slam dunk champion, yeah, Michael yeah. Jordan. He was good at dribbling. He could he could dribble with both hands fluidly. All right, you're missing the whole story. Yeah. Well, I, you know, Matt, I, I, I appreciate you sitting down and uh, talking to me, and I hope you get the whole story on Greg so. Gerald because I look forward to reading it. Thank you, and I appreciate your help. Thank you. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Gigglechick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.